these. And ignore me while I do this. Okay, good. Y'all good this morning? This morning we're going to continue our series on marriage. And to get into that, I, 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 um, I really feel like the Lord has given me an, uh, just an encouraging word on you know, the, the whole of Scripture, especially when it comes to relationship. And so uh, in Ephesians, there are six chapters of Ephesians, and they are really all dealing with how to be in relationship. Uh, how to be in relationship with others, how to be in relationship in a marriage, how to relate to ki kids to parents, parents to kids. Uh, if you're in a if you're in a uh, a slave situation where uh, you know it deals specifically with slavery, we went over what that means last week. If you if you hadn't had a chance to listen to it last week, go back and listen because it makes a difference about this week. But. Uh, it has to do with being in a situation where somebody is uh, uh, not honoring you in a position of authority. They have authority over you. They're not honoring you. You're not getting treated fairly. And there is a plan for God, from God, for us as believers to deal with those types of situations in relationship. And so as we talk about that, as we talk about marriage, which is the most intimate relationship, uh, I've titled the message, Get in Line to Fix Your Marriage Instead of a Way to Get Out of Marriage. Now, getting in line means to align yourself with God. It means to fix yourself on God's way. It's important to understand how important that is because, you know, we, we sang just a minute ago, we said, you know, He's for us and not against us, right? We sang that. How many believe that He's for us and not against us? Do you know Jesus asked the same question? To the Pharisees, are you for me or against me? We also sang just a minute ago that, that, that hellish forces tremble at Jesus, right? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think hellish forces tremble at you? Yes. When? When you line yourself up with Jesus. And only when you line yourself up with Jesus. He doesn't tremble at you in your way of thinking. He trembles at what Jesus did in Jesus' way of thinking because Jesus said he made a public spectacle of them, shaming them and getting victory over them, setting the captives free. And so it's important to recognize that in relationship that we have to adapt Jesus' view of what relationships supposed to be. And to do that, we have to understand that over a hundred times, over a hundred times in Scripture, there's a reference to marriage and the bride of Christ and the church and all those kinds of things uh, in Scripture. So the first thing that we got to know is that Jesus looks at the church as the bride. He looks at the church, and the Father looks at the church as the bride of Christ. And so I, I've got a few, just a few, scriptures that I want to read to just solidify, to establish Jesus' point of view of who we are as the church. 
Now, clarity, we know who the church is. Jesus said the church was those who, who acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and who do as he says, who align themselves with his way. And we're going to see that more and more in Ephesians. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 9, it says this. This is all from the English Standard Version. Let us rejoice and exalt and, and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint, the right way of doing things by the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. In Revelation chapter 21, 2, it says this, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride ordained for her husband. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 4, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church about God, For I, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In Revelation 21.9, it says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb of God. In John chapter 3, verse 29, it says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. In Isaiah 62, 5, it says, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so there's this, there's this intimate picture of what the church is supposed to be and do. It's supposed to emulate God. It's supposed to emulate the relationship between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, especially, not exclusively, but especially in marriage. What you'll see about Ephesians, if you read the whole book, the six chapters, he, is, he just moves it from one type of relationship to the other, including the most intimate, which is, is marriage. And he gives us a way to respond in each situation. God says that our response is always a response of love. It is agape. It is a love that can only come from God. And it doesn't matter if you have a sibling rivalry. It doesn't matter whether you're being treated equally or fairly. None of your circumstances matter because God has a plan through love to redeem the circumstance. It is through love that he wants to redeem it. And if we'll make sure that we align with God's plan, then we... Uh, we'll make sure that we are successful 
they were victorious in relationship. So we have to identify that God has a way of doing in relationships. No matter what it is, He has a way of doing. He had a way of uh, designed in the original plan for relationships, and it kind of went bad. Would you agree? That relationship plan went bad. God's plan uh, originally was perfection and walking with Him and husband and wife, no sin, and it goes south in Genesis chapter 3. Let's read over it because I want you to see a common thing that we're going to find that Ephesians encourages us not to align ourselves with. So verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast, say more crafty, more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the thing that we've got to hear is the question on what God's intent was. Did God really say that? Did He really say that? Is that an expectation of God? Did God really say that? Did He really say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, she, she validates what God said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said, hey, I've got a different way of looking at that. I, I want you to, to re-evaluate what that really means. Could God have said what He said because He knows that when you eat of, of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took and she ate. And she also gave it to her husband who ate. And then both of their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so they covered up. And so from the very beginning of the time, the presentation is this. I know you think God said it like this, but let me give you an alternative way of thinking. Let me give you an alternative way of thinking. All this happens in the garden, and there's a fruit that comes from it. Now, as believers, as believers, we've got to understand the fact that God is for us and not against us. As long as we align ourselves with Him. The, the misconception and the thing that's been preached so commonly all over the place is the idea of you've got to know who God is and you've got to know who you are in God. And those things are incredibly relevant for you to be a healthy Christian. But here's the misconception. The misconception is that you, because God loves you so much, that you can begin to adopt any way or any philosophy of thinking and, and then birth kingdom because, because you're a kingdom carrier, because you're a son or daughter of God. And, and you can be a son of God or daughter of God, but unless you adapt God's way of thinking and doing, it will not or doesn't have the ability to produce kingdom. You'll produce the same kinds of fruit that Adam and Eve produced 
if you adopt a way of thinking that's contrary to God's. And so uh, uh, the biggest decision that we've got to see is that as God deals with relationship, there's no other way to, to go about relationship that will produce kingdom outside of God's design. And so what we see here is, is we see the fruit of choosing a plan outside of God. So he says to the woman, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, so oftentimes we look at this as punishment or a curse from God. And we can see that in verse 17 when God begins to deal with Adam, that this is not a curse from God. This is a fruit of their choice to align themselves in some other aspect of God's way. Because he says to the, actually in, in, in verse 16, he says, and you shall desire to control your husband, but he'll rule over you. That is actually God's redemptive plan. You're going to see that in Ephesians, that he is actually redeeming her through that. <laughs> and the man says, he says to the man, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Is it because of God or because of Adam? It's because of Adam. And so, because of that, uh, it'll grow thorns and thistles through you, uh, uh, it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. But the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground. Sometimes we look at that as a negative. But God is saying, even in the midst of the toil and hardship that you're going to endure because of the choices you've made, I'm going to bring blessing and provision in the middle of it. And it is going to be enough to sustain you and carry you forward until the day that you're put back in the ground and that you get full redemption. And then he says, for you were made with dust, and to dust you'll return. And so we understand that God had an original plan. It went bad, but he also has a redeeming plan. And that redeeming plan for the whole world is the church. The church is God's redemptive plan to the world. He established Jesus Christ. He, he sent his son, his son died on the cross and was raised from the dead, that whoever believes in him and follows his way, kingdom will come. And, and, and God says, I want you to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem and there's going to be power that comes upon you that will allow you to actually succeed and have victory in what I'm asking you to do because it's impossible for you to have agape love and represent me well without my power working in you. Without that intimate relationship, without that marriage that comes when we receive Jesus, you have no power to accomplish what I've destined you to accomplish. We're going to see that in Ephesians. And so when you think about relationships with siblings, when you think about relationships with, uh, you know, aunts, uncles, all your family members, mama, daddy, you know, brothers, sisters, when you think about relationships, just friends, neighbors, work relationships, relationships of authority, you know, even government, no matter what the relationship, 
God says, God says, make sure you pray for those that are in command so that what? Redemption can come and you can lead a, a peaceable life. I mean, there's nothing about relationship that God doesn't want to redeem. And he says he wants the church to redeem it. How does it happen? He says it happens in love. It, it is so much about love. It's so much about love that God says this. A heathen, a person who doesn't moan me, a person who rejects me can love those who love them. Love them. But only those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who are mine, who are imitators of God, can actually love their enemies as their self. Love redeems them. Love has the possibility of even redeeming your enemy. And God has a redemptive plan. That's why in the Old Testament it says, without a prophetic vision of how to love someone the way God would love them, you're going to perish. That relationship will perish. Everything about it will perish. And so you have to have a prophetic vision on how God would love this person in these circumstances. And when you get that prophetic vision and the power of the Holy Spirit submitted to His way and His will, you have the ability to redeem everything that, that comes across your path. Especially your marriage. So many people are looking for ways to get out of the marriage or just maintain it until they die in their miserable misery. And, and it's a shame. And so, and so I want you to believe about your marriage that it can be a great marriage. And it can be only a great marriage when you align yourself with God's way for relationship, including marriage. You know, marriage is not about sex. Sex brings that relationship to the most intimate place that it could be. And praise the Lord for it. Hallelujah, somebody say. <laughs> but, but it's not about sex. It's about how to love in relationship. And then you get to have sex. Only with one person. And it's amazing to me when God is telling us how to do relationship, how much of that introduction to this marriage part is about just relationship and it correlates with sex. And so we can understand that God has one vision for marriage and that's with a man and a woman. And he says that all in Scripture. God chooses and wants us to choose. God designed and wants us to choose is a better way to say it. The way of purity in heart, including sexual purity when it comes to marriage. And so I want to hit that just a moment because I never preach about it. So if it doesn't make any sense in marriage, it's just so I can preach about it. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's going to make sense. Leviticus 18 goes through this, this list of things that we need to agree with God. It said, don't have sex with immediate family members. Everybody say amen to that. That sounds weird and gross. Don't have sex with animals. That sounds weird and gross. But then he goes on and says, don't have sex with somebody else's wife. And goes on to say, well, don't have sex with anybody other than your wife. 
And then he goes on to say, and don't have sex with somebody of the same gender. Now, here's the point. In every area of life, you're going to have another option to choose whether to believe a value system of what God really intended marriage to be. And it all has to do with relationship. What was meant to be in relationship as far as God's design? Am I going to align with that? Or am I going to align with another way of thinking? Did God really mean that you couldn't be in relationship with the same gender? No, he couldn't have. He knew that you were going to like it better and it would be good. Nothing has changed. It's all still the same. And we try to make excuses for fornication and teach it to a sixth grader. God says in Ephesians, as we're about to get to, don't align yourself with any way of thinking contrary to the way God's thinking about relationship. So God's got this design of purity in relationship. And it starts in Ephesians 5, and we're going to read the whole thing, and I'm right on schedule, so we're good. In some of six chapters, I pray you go home and read it. Test that what the preacher's preaching is the Word of God. But I'm going to start in chapter 5. He's already been talking about relationships. He's already been talking about your, you know, how to act, how to respond, and what all that is as we lead up to this. But in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Say that with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So I want you to look to the person to the right and to the left and say, You have destiny. Say that. You have destiny. Right and left. You have destiny. Your destiny, say this, your destiny is to be an imitator of God. We say, that's blasphemy. Nobody can be like God. Then why is it in the book? It's in the book so that we can actually be imitators of God. Can you do this in your own power? No. What did God intend relationship to be about? So he says, be imitators of God as still children. And then his next is so important. And walk in love. Walk in love. Every relationship. As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, your sacrifice to God is to walk in love as God walks in love. Aren't you glad that he didn't give up on you a, a lot um, before you understood what his love really meant for you? But he pursued you until you said yes. And then he shows you what love really is. 
So he says, be imitators of God. Walk in love like Jesus did. As an act of worship, we're walking in love. But, circle but in your Bible, verse 3, but fornication. Fornication is a fancy word for having sex outside of marriage with an opposite sex. We glad, I mean, today in our culture, and our society, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's going to do it. So we'll teach sixth graders how to put on a condom. So that, you know, there's no unwanted pregnancies. But fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Saints is just a name of those who have accepted God. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give thanks to God for redeeming all this stuff. For this you know that no fornicator, no person who buys into the idea that living this lifestyle is good will uh, or, or covetous person, nor unclean person, no person who's brought into an impure thought process about how to be in relationship, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. Any questions on that? Don't, don't ask me right now. But I just want to make sure that you understand that's pretty straightforward. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers. Don't come into agreement mentally. Don't wink at their way of thinking as if it's okay. Don't be partakers with them. Don't buy into the cultural way of thinking. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Do you really want to know? Or do you want to develop your own opinion about what it ought to be? And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Light being righteousness. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He'll give you the truth. He'll give you, he'll give you the will of God, the ways of God. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. If, they, if, 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 if there was a voice that said, did God really say that about this subject? Don't you think in this day and age that there's still a voice that said, does God really say that? Did he really mean that? Therefore, do not be unwise, but, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. That doesn't mean don't drink wine. That means don't be drunk with it. Just want to clear it up. But instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I want you to see. This is in all relationship, submit to one another in the fear of God. There's an atmosphere of submission that is mentioned just about relationships in general before he begins to talk about marriage. But in marriage, there is still that element of um, that element in, in the relationship of submission. Maybe you heard the story. Of the, there was a big wreck down here on I-77 and 85 the other day, and the cops show up to the to the scene, and it's just you know it's a it's a big pileup. I mean, like ten cars are all piled up there, and they get there, and the EMS is there, and he's 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 the calls the driver that's the cause of it is is being treated, and his wife's being treated, and his kids are being treated, and the only thing that's there is this pet monkey. <laughs> The pet monkey's there. <laughs> and so the cop goes to the pet monkey to try to figure out what's going on. And the pet monkey uh, responds. He says, what, 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 to the pet monkey, what, what are the kids doing? And they, he says, they were fighting. Well, what was the mama doing? She was yakking. What was daddy doing? <laughs> he was drinking. What were you doing? I was driving. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. So the point is, there's got to be a driver. There's got to be submission. All of us are submitted to the driver, right? No matter whether you're on this side going, this is what you ought to be doing. Turn left, turn right, go faster, slow down. You're driving like grandma. I mean, I, didn't, I never say that to Liz, never. going over the speed limit. I'm already breaking the law. We've never had this conversation at all, ever. <laughs> but somebody's got to drive, right? <laughs> just, for, just for the record, if I get too mouthy like that, Liz will stop the car, get out and say, Pastor, you drive. <laughs> Walk around the car. <laughs> 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 it's funny. But the point is, everybody has to submit to the driver, right? God designs it that way. And basically what he's saying in Genesis is, ladies, your husband is going to be the driver. Somebody's got to drive. I'm going to make him the driver. Now listen, men, let me address you, and I'm going to read this in Ephesians in just a minute, you'll see it. Because you're the driver, everything in your house is your responsibility before God. Your wife is not responsible for ironing your clothes. Your wife is not responsible for washing or cleaning the kitchen or doing the dishes or taking out the trash or doing the yard work. Your wife is not responsible for any of that. You are. It's your job. And if your wife, who was designed to be a helpmate, 
is doing her role in the Lord, she will help you. That is the way it's designed. And you can fight it. You can adopt a different philosophy and say, I'm just not buying that. That's just old-fashioned preaching. You can decide. Can you be saved? Yes. You can be saved. Will you reap kingdom in your marriage? No, you will not. It's impossible to bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven and do something in a different philosophy. And so that's what God is saying. We get messed up when we think, well, doesn't God love me? Isn't he for me? Absolutely he's for you. He has designed a way to bring you victory in every aspect of your life. And that's aligning yourself with his way of doing it. He says this, how do you know that you love me? How do you know that you love me? That you do everything my way. That you align yourself with me. And when you do, the demons tremble. They tremble at what a power-packed unit, oneness, that a couple who is doing life the way the Bible says do it, what kind of power they bring. Or they can go everywhere they go and bring divisiveness and disunity and all kinds of confusion and pass that down from generation to generation. It's amazing how God establishes all this. Now listen. So when we talk about submission, when we talk about somebody driving, there's going to be a voice that comes from the culture that says, does God really say that? He just wants, is God really just saying that you're going to be barefoot and pregnant? Is God really just saying that you're, you're the footstool of your husband? No, what the Bible says is that, that you're the crown of your husband. What the Bible says is you're a Proverbs 31 woman when you align up, that you're doing business, that you're buying real estate, that you're selling real estate, that you've got your hands in all kinds of things, that you can be incredibly creative and do all the things that God designed you to do. At the same time, let your husband drive because that's the redeeming plan. And if, well, wonder if he's lording over me. Wonder if he's hindering me. Then you have to treat him in that relationship with the prophetic vision God has given you to redeem him to the point where he actually looses you to be what God created you to be. Otherwise, you find yourself in captivity. Well, I've, I was abused. That's tough. It's tough. I thought I heard God tell me to marry this individual or whatever it might be. Man, if you're single in the room, choice is everything. Can you ladies submit to this guy that you're about to go into contract with? Men, are you ready to, to be God's agent of releasing a woman to become something she could never become lest she be married to you because there's such a flow of God's anointing running through him that it comes all over you and you can actually be something that you couldn't be if he wasn't in your life 
there's a design of redemption that God has, and it's not imprisonment. And the world is saying, there's another way of thinking about this. Let me tell you what it is. Now, when it comes to, I just want to clear this up because it's such a delicate topic. When it comes to uh, lifestyle choices in our culture today, can somebody be saved and and lit, be be um, not totally free from a homosexual lifestyle or a lifestyle of fornication? The answer to the question is most likely yes. Aren't you glad that your anger issue doesn't disqualify you from being saved? Aren't you glad that your impure thoughts or your outbursts of unbelief don't disqualify you? Aren't you glad that the love of God is wooing even when we're in our sin and hasn't given up on transforming us into the full image of Christ in the midst of being part of the church? You know, God's grace and mercy is, is huge. And, he, and it is all His love that is trying to redeem the relationship aspect of everything. And He says to you and me, be imitators of God. Love your enemies. Treat people like I treat you when you don't deserve love. And so we're to honor one another by submitting to one another. Submission is not a bad word. In all of this, as he deals with all this, he moves in verse 25 or 20. Uh, uh, 22, he goes from right from submitting to one another in the fear of God, be subordinate, obedient, uh, subservient, be sub put yourself in subjection to one another. In the church, honoring one another more than you honor yourself, valuing one another more than you value yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a love style. And then he says in 22, wise, Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he's the Savior. We would not buck Jesus intentionally. Most of us, we just, we wouldn't do it. You know, we, we, we find ourselves doing it, and then we go, oh, I did it. Oh, my gosh, I did it. Don't we? Hopefully, most of the time, we're not going, I don't care what he says, I ain't doing it. So we, we need to respond that way. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Say, in everything. Say it louder, ladies. I just want to hear it. And then it says, 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of the word of the word. There's a redemptive process that comes when we honor our wives the way Jesus loves the church and releases her to become everything that she was intended to become. Matter of fact, the definition of good leadership is whoever you're leading becomes something they couldn't become unless you were in their lives. That's leadership. And so we're to lead. Lead how? Lead in obedience to God. Well, how do you do that? You lay down your life and you serve your wife. You value what she values more than you value what you value because that's what Jesus did. How do you do that? Well, each case individually is different. You've got to have a relationship with God. You've got to get an individual vision, a prophetic vision about this relationship, how God wants to redeem it. And as you walk that thing out, God can make something beautiful out of something that looks like it was toast. And it doesn't matter what that relationship is. It's all about the love of God the redeeming power of the love of God, being able to bring health to something that looks broken. And you're not responsible. I wonder if i got a husband or a wife that, that just doesn't get this God thing. Great. God's got a loving, redeeming plan to bring salvation to that family. And there's no excuses. The only thing you're really doing is making a decision whether you're going to align yourself with God or you're going to buy into the aspect that something says out here, did God really say that? And we just read it. He did really say it. He also said submit to each other, and this is how a marriage situation goes. Somebody's got to drive. Somebody's got to take us from where God has us going as a family. Somebody has to lead that thing to a place that God, only God knows where it is and where it has for each individual person. And so hopefully today, the commitment is to understand this, one thought, is that you understand that God loves you so much that you cannot adopt any way of thinking and bring kingdom. He loves you so much, he wants to reveal his will to you, so that you and empower you so that you can actually accomplish it in whatever circumstance you're in. His love brings revelation of how to redeem what's broken. So it's not judgment. It's not religion. It's not hate. It has no yuck on it. What it has on it is a love that can only come from God, that sees the best in everybody, no matter what, that has this desire and is jealous over anything in anybody's life that is keeping them from receiving the fullness that God has for each individual. And we are to be imitators of God.
Let's stand for closing prayer.